0: Last time we ended with Philip baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And you remember, when the eunuch was brought up out of the water, Philip was supernaturally transported. Wouldn't that be incredible? In a rapture-like catching away. And he landed in a town called Azotus. That's like if I was preaching right now. And all of a sudden, I just disappeared. And, and I found myself preaching in Massachusetts. I mean, it took incredible faith for the man to keep preaching when he's suddenly in another place. But um, it happened. And it's, it's, it's a great um, type of rapture. Because when the Lord wants to snatch you out of a place and put you somewhere else, he can do it in a blink of an eye. And that's what happened with Philip. Now, with chapter 9, the book of Acts turns his attention fully on the man called Saul, who was consenting to the murder of Stephen... By stoning. Now, last time we noted that when Stephen was dying, he prayed for his persecutors. And here's what he said. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. He prayed that with the rocks hitting him. You got to use your sanctified imagination sometimes. Imagine painful, horrible, rocks are flying your way, and you stop and you pray for the people throwing them. Wow. Wow. he he could do that because he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that this prayer of forgiveness played a key role in what was about to take place in Saul's life, because Saul was the one standing there consenting to his death, and they laid his clothes down at the feet of Saul. So Saul was really the leader of that martyrdom. Now, Starting at Acts chapter 9, 1 through 2, then Saul, here he goes, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, isn't that cool it was called the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's got blood in his eyes, this young man, Saul. He is out to find anybody that loves Jesus. And he's going to shackle them. He's going to throw them in jail. And he's going to oversee some of their martyrdoms. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Saul. Saul was an intellectual giant, he was mentored by the great teacher Gamaliel and excelled his peers in his dedication to Judaism. Saul perceived Christianity to be a direct threat to the Judaism of his upbringing and decided that if necessary, he alone would wipe it off the face of the earth. Isn't it funny how God will choose you and you've got a strength? Look at his strength. Whatever he gave his hand to, he did it with all of his might. When I'm against Christianity, if it just takes me, I'm going to get rid of it off the face of the earth. God touched him, and that same willpower and that same determination was switched over on behalf of Christ, Amen. Amen. look at what you do naturally. What is your natural gift? God's liable to anoint that and use it for supernatural things. Now, we're told that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Folks, he was serious. The word for slaughter is the Greek word phonos, and it appears 10 times in the New Testament. And everywhere but here, it's translated into the word murder. But here it's translated into slaughter. Either way, you don't want it happening to you. Amen? So so Saul was filled with murder. He wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. Now, in verse 2, Saul has received the sanction and blessing from the high priest to wreak havoc on the church and arrest the Lord's people. Now, one commentator I really love, John Phillips, who has helped me all through this book. I love John Phillips. His He writes this about Paul. His giant intellect, his fierce emotions fired to white-hot passion, and his iron will all fused together in a determined hatred of Jesus. This was a one-man wrecking crew, Saul. But then something amazing happened that changed Saul, the early church, and the world to come forevermore. more. Look what it says in verse 3. I just love the way. That the Lord's full of surprises. You know, he sees this enemy of the church, and he says, essentially, hey, you, it's over. Because look what happens. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Now, in giving his testimony later on, Paul tells us it was at high noon when this miraculous intervention of Jesus occurred. So it's at high noon. He he was not on a horse, folks. I hate to break it to you. I've heard so many preachers say, and he fell off his horse. Nowhere are we told he's on a horse. He was not on a horse. I hate to de-dramatize it, but the man was walking and he got slain. God knocked him down, but he didn't fall off a horse. Now, a brilliant light that was brighter than the noonday sun suddenly burst forth upon him. Now, the expression shine round about that you see in the King James Version can be translated flashed round about. So it was a light from heaven that flashed round about the astonished Saul. Can you imagine? Here he is. He's going to to, to arrest Christians, to kill them, to imprison them. And all of a sudden... A light brighter than the sun surrounds him. He falls into the dirt. And then after a brilliant flashing light, a voice calls him by name. Everybody say with me, the Lord knows my name. But let me tell you, Saul was not looking forward to Jesus calling him by name. Because look what happened. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, if somebody comes against you, they came against him. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? You put your hand on my people, you put your hand on me. And he said, who are you? Now, what Saul call him right off the bat? Lord. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> he knew real quick. He was a bright man. He had a two and two quick. This is the Lord. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, that is a beautiful description of somebody who is resisting God against the, the cries of their conscience. I don't know if you've ever been there, walked away from the Lord and gone off into a direction you knew was wrong. But If you have, then you know what this means because you're you're doing your best to go a certain direction, but your conscience is hounding you and haunting you and stalking you and crying out at you. And so you're kicking rebelliously against the sticks against your conscience and you can't get away from it. You know, you can't get away from the Lord. You can take a jet and fly to the furthest location, but whenever you land, he is at your arrival gate. Hi there. (laughs) Ask Jonah. Now, this is Paul's first encounter with the Christ that he was single-handedly trying to destroy. We're never told that Paul met Jesus prior to Jesus' crucifixion. We're never told that. So I'm going to assume he didn't. When you read his epistles, you find that he never referred to the Lord as Jesus of Nazareth, but always as the Lord from heaven because that's how he met him, the Lord from heaven. He never knew Jesus after the flesh like Peter and John and James and them did. No, he never knew him after the flesh. He only knew him after the spirit and as the Lord from heaven. So one moment, Saul of Tarsus is riding high. Secure in his position among his peers, unreachable in his prejudices against Christianity. And the next moment, he is prostrate on the ground, blinded by heaven's light, and arrested by Jesus' voice. And we say together, we serve a great God. Verse 6, so he, trembling and astonished, said the second time, Lord, what do you want me to do? You win, uncle. What do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you're going to be told what you must do. Now, I've already pointed out, but I want you to notice that twice he's already called him Lord. And it says, no man says Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit. You can't say with faith, Jesus is Lord, unless the Holy Ghost has convicted you and drawn you to Jesus himself. It is a Holy Ghost utterance. So twice he's called him Lord. From this point on, Jesus would be Lord in Saul's heart, his mind, his soul, and his will. Right then and there, folks, the old Saul died, crucified with Christ, and buried with him forever. And the new Saul stood in Christ on resurrection ground. Do you remember the day that happened to you? Remember the day you got saved? You remember the day the Lord got your attention and you called out and you said, Lord Jesus? You remember that? And how you were never the same again? Look at you here on church on a Wednesday night. What are you doing here on church on a Wednesday night when it's beautiful weather outside, when you could be doing so many other things because you got saved? You had an encounter with the living Christ. Amen. I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, next, Luke tells us what the men with Saul were experiencing. He's got men with him. He's got fellow travelers with him. So look at verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. Now, look at what they were experiencing. They heard a voice, but they saw no one. So they heard Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? They heard it, but they didn't see anybody. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to make a little application. It is so often this way when the gospel is preached. Notice there is a company of men going to Damascus to arrest Christians. Jesus knocks one of them to the ground, changes him on the spot, saves him in a in the blink of an eye. But other men who are standing there aren't so touched at all. They're not touched at all. They hear the voice, but they're not changed. And I'm going to tell you, it's that way every single Sunday when I preach the gospel, you know, we're having people saved every week, every week, every week. People are being saved every week, every week. And I hope you don't ever get used to that. I hope you don't ever take that flippantly because I don't, because, you know, every Tuesday and staff meeting, we sit down and we look at the reports of, of what happened on Sunday and without fail. People were saved. I'm not talking about recommitments. I'm talking about saved. Now, I know when I share the gospel at the end and I draw the net, I know there's a lot of them out there that could but don't. You know why? Because it's just this way. it's just this way. When Billy Graham preaches to a stadium full of people, he, he he'll preach to fifty thousand people packing a stadium. He gives the invitation. Tons of people come down, but folks, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands didn't. How is it that some are touched and some aren't? It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and salvation is an act of God. It's an act of God. These men heard a voice. Hey, if I hear a voice talking out of nowhere, I'm getting saved. (laughs) But they didn't. They didn't. These men heard the voice of Jesus, but they didn't see him like Saul did. Look at verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. That's telling us he was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. You're not going to eat after an experience like this. You're not going to drink anything after an experience like this. Now, there's two interesting words for sight. You know that I'm a word guy. And let me tell you something. The Bible is a word Bible. Words matter. And there's two words for sight used in these verses. Verse 7 says that Saul's traveling companions stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing, there's the word, seeing no man. Now, the word for seeing there is "theoreo." Theoreo, and it's used to describe a spectator watching a spectacle. We get the word theater from Theoreo, all right? So isn't it interesting that his companions had the power of sight, but they didn't really see what was going on? Now follow me. Saul, on the other hand, had no power of sight, Because the word used when it says, Paul saw no man, it's the word blepo. And blepo means to have the power to see. And it says, Saul didn't have the power to see. Like I'm looking at you right now and you're looking at me. He didn't have that power when this happened. He went blind. But isn't it amazing, though he had no power of sight, his inner eyes were open to see everything. He saw more than they did blind. Because they saw, but they didn't see what was happening. He was blind, but he saw exactly what was happening. I'm talking to the risen Christ. Sometimes, listen, you you can have 20-20 vision and be blind as a bat spiritually. Blind as a bat. Our whole nation right now is blind as a bat spiritually. Oh, we've gone off the cliff. Oh, my Lord, America has gone off the cliff. And what is wrong? Their eyes are blinded. Though they see, they're like, they're like these, these traveling companions. They see, but they don't. But you can be blind and have the eye of faith and see. Now, aren't you blessed when you can see and see? Aren't you blessed? Now, you're here tonight. You're looking at me and I'm looking at you and you can see me and I can see you. But you know what, how we're really blessed? We are really blessed because we can also see him. We, we have the eye of faith. We have the eye of faith. And, and we see, we know he's there. We know he's here. Yes. We know he's coming again. We know he has already come. We know we've been born again. We know yes. the Lord of life. Yes. That's why Jesus said, blessed are your eyes for they see. For many, many people, Jesus told his followers, wanted to see what you see, and they didn't. Amen. Can we say, thank God, I see. thank God I see? Seriously, thank God we see. Now, next, enter Ananias, the reluctant disciple. Look what happened in verse 10. Now, there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias... He knew his name too. He knows your name. Amen. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now look what the Lord said to him in verse 11. Arise and go to the street called Straight. and inqu- I would love to live on Straight Street. What a great name for a street. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying and in a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias. So the Lord's talking to Ananias, and the Lord's talking to Saul, both at the same time. Ananias, I want you to go see Saul. Saul, a man named Ananias is coming to see you. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. And it is an old preacher's trick to refer to the street called straight to make the point at how Saul was now for the first time in his life truly on the highway of holiness And we might all say, when we got born again, we got on the street called straight. We got on the highway of holiness. Amen? Amen. Everybody say with me, I'm on straight street. street. The narrow road that leads to life. Amen. Now, the last thing Ananias wanted to hear, trust me, was the heavenly command to go and minister to the terror of the early church. This was a major assignment. But the Lord told him, not only the street name, But the name of the house's owner, where Saul had been led. Look at all Jesus knows. He knew Ananias' name. He knew Saul's name. He knew the street where Saul had been taken. He knew the name of the man that owned the house. He knows all about you. See, Santa Claus stole Jesus' gig. (laughs) He knows you've been bad or good. You know, all these things Santa's supposed to know. No, no, no. It's the Lord who knows all those things. Right? Still, Ananias protested this command to go to Saul, verse 13. Ananias answered as if the Lord didn't know what he was doing. He said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. What he's really saying is, Lord, are you sure about this? Have you ever said that to the Lord seriously? Are you sure about this? Now, I want to stop here. I want to point out something that that to me might be the lesson from the verses we're covering tonight. I want to point out here how important it is that we see people through the Lord's eyes and not through the eyes of our prejudices. Because look at Ananias' problem. His problem was what he had heard about somebody. His issue was the bad stuff that had been spread about. Now, it was right. It was right. It was true. But he's going based on what he's heard and the opinion he's formed based on what he's heard. Now, how many times does that happened in the church? You know, somebody walks in and, 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 you know, maybe they've been the subject of gossip. We say, man, Lord, I've heard so many things about this person. Now, notice Ananias was really trying to get out of this assignment because of what he'd heard about Saul. He was looking at Saul through natural eyes and not through the eyes of Jesus. How often do we do that? Ananias saw a terrible man while God saw a chosen vessel. You know what God sees when he sees you? He sees somebody redeemed, chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called out people. When I got saved, you know that I was a hippie. I know it's hard for you to imagine that I could bring pictures and you'd never come back. <laughs> I had hair down to here, I, I had it in a ponytail, it was parted down the middle. I had wire rim glasses. I was 130 pounds, soaking wet, six foot one. I had on the bell bottom blue jeans, the t shirts. I was a hippie. Now, when I got saved, man, I wanted to go to church. And I'll never forget going into this great, big, beautiful church. I think it was a Baptist church, although it was uh, a Baptist that led me to Christ. I'm not slamming Baptist. But I walked in in my bell-bottom blue jeans with my T-shirt, with my hair in a ponytail, with my YRM glasses. And I'll never forget feeling like I was under a microscope because they were all in suits And dresses and they didn't look like me and I didn't look like them, and I could just hear them thinking, Wow, where'd this one come from? They weren't looking at me, I assure you, through as a chosen vessel. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable. I I mean, really, you know, we they sang the hymns and and I'm looking around. I grabbed the hymn book and I'm and I and I am just thinking, like, well, I came to worship Jesus, and, and and I would I would you know I would just notice them glancing at me and look at me through the peripheral vision, and and um, nobody came up and said hello to me, and here I was, newborn, you know, I come out of juvenile home, come out of the drug culture, but see what did Jesus see? This skinny kid is chosen. See. <clears throat> so i say we want all kinds here bring the blue hair the pink hair the purple hair i don't care if you're all tatted up or not i don't listen we want all kinds of people because when jesus looks at people he doesn't see what we see he sees chosen vessels royal priesthood potential Amen. Amen. kingdom potential how many of you had an example, had, had an experience like I did? Come on. You were pretty freaky looking. You know, and we were called Jesus freaks. But I learned Jesus doesn't turn people into freaks. He turns freaks into people. Because <laughs> I was a freak, really freaky looking, freaky looking. Amen. Thank you. Now look what the Lord's done with me now. <laughs> now I look all normal and, you know. I'm going to tell you, the Lord Jesus is so powerful to change a life, totally transform a life. If you had lined 100 people up, I'm telling you, and and I was one of them, and said to anybody, a group of people, let's say a group of Christians, pick the one that's going to end up being a a pastor all of his life. I would have been the 100th one maybe. (laughs) Say with me, the Lord can do anything. Look at verse 15 says, the Lord said to him, Ananias, let me set you straight. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then verse 16, don't worry about Ananias. He's going he's to reap, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, Paul would later teach this very thing. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. When I look at you, I'm not going to judge you according to the flesh. I'm going to look at you through the eyes of the spirit. Now, he says, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. So Ananias obeyed God went to lay hands on the man who would change the world for Christ. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, What did he call him? Brother Saul. That took some faith. He's had a change of heart, hadn't he? (laughs) Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now, the word for scales here is lepis. And just to let you know what was going on here, it's the word used for the scales of a fish. Lepis. Apparently... When Jesus knocked him down and took his side away for three days and nights, but opened up his spiritual eyes, something like scales, a scaly substance, had literally covered and blinded Saul's eyes. And when Ananias laid hands on him, it just fell away. And his eyes were open. Supernatural happening all around here. And, you know, the first thing Saul saw was the face of a Christian brother the very tight person he had persecuted before and even killed, Brother Saul, Brother Ananias, give me a hug. (laughs) Saul went immediately to be baptized in water in obedience to Jesus Christ as a new Christian believer, and he broke his fast. Verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So he went on to Damascus, but not to imprison people, to preach. The Christ he was persecuting. Now, we're told here that he tarried with the brethren for a few days, but we also know from his letter to the Galatians, Galatians 1, look what he said. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, but I went to Arabia. Now, here's what he's talking about. He he did spend a few days with the brethren in Damascus, but then he went straight to Arabia. He went straight to Arabia and stayed there three years, just him and his Old Testament and Jesus. And during this time in Arabia, this man, this brilliant man, this former persecutor, underwent massive theological transformation and received incredible revelation. Or the great truths, three great truths he walked out of there with, and here they are Christ's cross. And he wrote about that in Romans. Christ's church, he wrote about that in Ephesians. And Christ's coming again, he wrote about that in Thessalonians. Those three truths were firmly fixed in his mind as he stayed in Arabia, him, Jesus, and the Old Testament. Now, Saul wasted no time in declaring the Christ he once condemned to a shocked Jewish audience. When he came out of Arabia, he came out preaching. Look at verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed. I'm telling you, their minds were blown. Are you kidding me? Saul is preaching Jesus, that he's the son of God? And then they said, is this not he who destroyed those who call on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? What is he doing? preaching Jesus. Now, from here to verse 31, we have the beginnings of Saul's ministry. And and we're going to go through verse 31, and we're going to stop because the the rest of the chapter is about Simon Peter. But, you know, notice with me, he's still called Saul. All the verses we're reading, he's still called Saul. He will not be called Paul until Acts chapter 13, verse 9. So we've got four chapters to go before he goes from Saul to Paul. Now, let's read the rest of the narrative. Verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving this Jesus is the Christ. No sooner did he launch his ministry than the same people who killed Jesus also tried to kill him. Verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates for him to come out day and night, to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, let him down through the wall in a large basket. Man, his life has changed. He's riding around with an entourage of men with all kinds of authority and power from the chief priest. Now he's being let down a wall inside a basket to escape being killed. Now next, Saul is confronted with the consequences of his past actions through a rejection from the church, because they don't know what to make of him. Look at verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Why should I believe you? You've killed a bunch of the brethren. You're the church's terror. Why? How do I know you're not a spy, that this is not a trap? Folks, can I tell you right here and now, sometimes, We need to decide to believe in somebody. There's two people in my life when I got saved who believed in me. And and I went and saw them last week. They're in their 90s now. But one of them was a Braniff, you know, Braniff Airlines that's now gone. He was a Braniff captain and his little wife. Now, they came into my life right when I started teaching from that stool. And matter of fact, when they first met me, they didn't know what to make of me because they had been raised Baptist. And I was moving in the gifts of the spirit. And one night I prophesied in a a service about crucifying the old man. And this brand of captain turned to his wife and said, would you listen to the way he's talking about his dad? (laughs) I'm serious. They thought I was terrible. And they didn't understand I was talking about the old man, the old man. You know, the old man crucified with Christ. They thought I was talking about my dad. <laughs> but once they got to know me, then, then they became like surrogate parents to me. And no one believed in me more than this couple. Because, you know, we need people to believe in us, don't we? We need people to, to, to see what Jesus sees in us, don't we? That's what encouragers do. You know, you'd rather go on a vacation with an encourager than a prophet, wouldn't you? Because prophets are always telling you what you're doing wrong. Encouragers are always telling you, hey, I believe in you. You know, great things are going to happen with you. This, the, this couple became my greatest cheerleaders. And they would take me aside. And, and believe me, I was full of insecurities, full of um, damage from drugs, And and they would say, Jeff, God's got great things for you. You just hang in there. You're a preacher. You're a teacher. You can do it. God is on you. We're for you. And they were just my cheerleaders. They believed in me. Saul needed somebody at this point to believe in him because he was being rejected by all the leadership of the church. They didn't trust him. And so along came Barnabas. And Barnabas was the encourager. And he saw Saul through the eyes of the Spirit, and he became the icebreaker, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. He's saying to the, these, uh, this church leadership, Peter, James, John, the rest of them, hey, this guy is the real deal. I want you to receive him. Barnabas introduced Saul to the top leadership, the big boys, the anointed ones, the ones who had walked with Jesus, Peter, whose shadow was healing people. He brought Saul up to him, said, meet Saul, Peter. Peter, meet Saul. What a meeting that must have been to see Saul looking Simon Peter in the face To see Simon, his suspicion melting, give Saul a big fisherman's bear hug. Come here, bro. To see Saul and John greet one another with a holy kiss. It took a Barnabas. And folks, some of you, you've got somebody in your life. And they need, now I'm not saying they're perfect. And I'm not saying they haven't made mistakes. But they need someone to believe in them. To say, I see what God sees in you. I still need it. Hey, if I get real down, I still call those people in East Texas. As a matter of fact, when I was there last week, she said, Jeff, your ministry is about to explode. Your ministry is about to grow like you've never seen it before. She sat me down and, and knelt over me with her little crooked back. Now she's 92, 93. Now it's about to explode. You do know that. You're about to see things you've never seen. Talk to me, talk to me, talk to me. <laughs> Everybody say Barnabas. Barnabas. We all need to be a Barnabas to somebody. Amen? Amen. Maybe you need to be a Barnabas to your spouse or to your kids. Who knows? Your parents. Now, to the end of his days, Paul never forgot what he owed to Barnabas. I believe that. The first man to trust him in Jerusalem. How we need Barnabas in the church. Verse 28. So he was with them at Jerusalem. Look how the ice has melted. He's coming in. He's going out. They totally receive him. He's right at home. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus, which is where he was from. Now, not only notice have the brethren accepted him, but they are now protecting him from his enemies. So Saul was received. Now, finally, look at the result of the conversion of Saul on the churches of that day. Verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Amen. Now, you want to know what a healthy church looks like? We just read it. Peace, edification, and comfort in the Holy Spirit, and multiplication. That's what a healthy church looks like. When you leave a service like this, you ought to leave exhorted, comforted, and edified in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. And And if you will come to church on a Sunday, I promise you, I will always bring a fresh word to you. I don't have a Rolodex, right? I say, what did I preach last year? Let me just pull it out and, you know, fix it up a little bit and, and preach the same thing. No, no, no. I get before God. And I say, Lord, what are you saying to the church? And I bring that. So if you'll bother to come, I will bother to seek God. Amen. And you won't leave disappointed. Amen? <clears throat> now, next time, the focus swings back to Simon Peter. And God is going to open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. And it is major, major, powerful stuff. Can we just all stand up together tonight? Everybody say, when God gets loose. loose. That's what we've called this series. Let's thank the Lord Jesus for his presence here tonight. The same Jesus that arrested Saul on the road to Damascus is here tonight. Do you sense his peace? Do you sense his joy? Do you sense his presence? Lord Jesus, we come to you tonight and we ask you, Lord Jesus, help us, Lord, to be inspired by this historical account of Saul and how this this church terror was turned into the greatest of blessings to the church if you can change him, you can change us. And Lord, I want to pray particularly for the spirit of Barnabas to be upon us tonight. Lord, there's somebody in our orbit, somebody in our circle who needs to be believed in, who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be seen through the eyes of Jesus and not the eyes of the flesh, the eyes of prejudice, the eyes of of judgmentalism. No, Lord, anoint us with the spirit of Barnabas, that spirit of encouragement, that spirit that, that took a man who needed to be received and, and who needed to be trusted and and took him and, and Lord, made that happen for him. Thank you, Father.